Good evening again. Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 36, Part 1. Rigsin drove Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche back to London, and the same thing occurred vis a vis precipitation as had occurred at Sundown. Every time that torrential rain slowed the traffic down to a crawl, and it came to Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche's attention, the rain eased to the point where Rigsin could slide back to his habitual 90 miles per hour. Rigsin was famous for driving like a bat out of hell, and Rinpoche was concerned that Rigsin should not have to drive home in the dark. Chapter 36 Crazy Wisdom Crazy wisdom is a term that entered the English language in the 1970s, courtesy of Rigsin Chögyam Trumpa Rinpoche. Although I never met Trumpa Rinpoche, he had an enormous influence on the way I teach. It was his books which first showed me that Dharma could be taught in contemporary English and that the essence could be shown through ordinary everyday situations. If a person understood the essence, it could be extrapolated in many ways according to the audience. In this, Trumpa Rinpoche gave me a gift that supplemented my training with Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche hammered home the nature of principle and function, from which standpoint Dharma could be seen in everything. He stressed the natural poetry of Dharma and encouraged me to be creative with language. He told me that to be a tantrika, one had to be an artist, and so I have always tried to teach as a poet. It's on this basis that these two lamas are, more than anything, responsible for the way I communicate. Sadly, Trumpa Rinpoche passed away in 1987, and the loss to Vajrayana Buddhism is inestimable. There is no Lama like him now, apart from the Mahasiddha Dongsi Trini Norba Rinpoche, son of Kyabje Dujan Rinpoche. The Tibetan for crazy wisdom is Yeshe Cholwa. According to Trumpa Rinpoche, it means wisdom gone wild. Yeshe means primordial awareness, and Cholwa means thrown into chaos. This is the quality of non-dual realisation which offends conventional spirituality. Crazy wisdom offends conventional spirituality because of the compromises that conventional spirituality makes with duality. Where socially controlled, organised, regimented religious pedestrianism corrupts the essence of non-dual teaching, crazy wisdom can be manifested to clear the decks. Jimmy Rigsin Rinpoche was the third incarnation of Drupan Lingpa Trulutsal. His last name refers to Dorje Trulu, the crazy wisdom manifestation of Padmasambhava. Jimmy Rigsin Rinpoche often cleared the decks. He built the decks and destroyed the decks, and those who climbed from the wreckage always learned a great deal. 
Those who failed to climb from the wreckage were those who had invested too much in themselves and regarded themselves as big cheeses and high scorers on the spiritual Richter scale. Crazy wisdom is uncomfortable for most people, especially the politically correct and spiritually correct. I explain this not because I'm a wild card of some sort, and not because I like to boogie all night long. I explain this because current social trends in the world of Western Buddhism would neuter Vajrayana. The following chapter gives some glimpses of the world of crazy wisdom and also the world of psychological dysfunction. They wove in and out of each other in Rinpoche's Sangha. He worked with the warp and weft of every situation from the position of Yeshe Cholwa and, as you will discover, created a situation in which open space was the only fixed position. One day, sometime in 1990, in Kalepa, where I lived with Pema Zangmo and Ernie Dorje, the telephone rang. It was Chimmy Rixin Rinpoche calling me up from Germany. On Sunday we are picnic having. We must be good weather having. So you must be making sure that there is no rain coming. That was something of a surprise. But Rinpoche, I, I'm not a Charchudpa, I replied. So you never Charchud from Yeshe Dorje receiving? No, Rinpoche, I never asked him to teach me Charchud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you strong yogi, so no problem to you. I want that there must be no rain coming, so I am asking you, why else I phone? Why else indeed? It seemed that my agreement could not be withheld. Yes, Rinpoche, if you say so, but... The last time we picnicked, you stopped the rain. So why would you ask me to do what you can do extremely well and extremely easily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much this and that saying. Maybe no confidence having in Jimmy Rigson? No, I do have great confidence in you, Rinpoche, but I don't have that kind of confidence in that Pachugyam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you must be charchut making on that day. All right, Rinpoche, I will do my best. And if it doesn't work, I chuckled, you can give me a good beating. Oh, yeah, he laughed. Much beating possible. Much beating possible. With that, he put the receiver down. So what was I to do about that? Well, naturally, when the day came, I spent it in retreat in my room, practicing integration with the water element and visualizing Rinpoche. That was not Cha Chud, because I had never learned that, but it was the nearest activity which bore any relationship to it. 
No word came back to me as to whether I'd failed or not. A month later, I was teaching in Austria and decided that I'd call in to visit Rinpoche in Frankfurt. An aunt of mine lived in Wiesbaden and my mother was staying with her, so it all seemed to fit together rather well. I met with Rinpoche in Frankfurt and he gave me the empowerment of Senge Dradog, which I'd requested. It was a marvellously surprising occasion because he gave me the empowerment on my own. I was overwhelmed by his kindness in offering me this and we spent a wonderful afternoon together. Rinpoche then asked me to accompany him to the teachings he was giving for the Frankfurt Ring, a centre which hosts spiritual teachers from all traditions. I'd taught for the Frankfurt Ring before and so they knew me there quite well. There was an evening talk followed by a weekend seminar. The evening talk was attended by over 300 people and Rinpoche had been booked to talk on Tibetan medicine. He did talk somewhat on that subject, but made many detours through all manner of fascinating subjects. Occasionally he'd ask me to teach and I did so. On one occasion, however, he decided to pick me up on my semantics. I'd employed the word I a few times too many. You hearing this? Nakpa Churgyam has big ego, he called out in a strident voice. Nakpa Churgyam, I saying. He, I saying too much. Many times, I saying. This big ego. This caused something of a rumpus in the audience. Some people were delighted by his statement. Some were shocked. Some were bewildered. Some were confused. Rinpoche then organised a debate on the subject as to whether Nakpachurgyam had a big ego or not. Some said this. Some said that. Some asked, what does this have to do with Tibetan medicine? Some people were quite annoyed on my behalf. Some said they found it unacceptable that Rinpoche should be humiliating and belittling me for no good reason. Rinpoche simply sat there smiling and refused to answer them. They then asked me whether I minded being humiliated. I thanked them for their kind concern on my behalf, but said, whatever Rinpoche wants to say is fine by me. He is my Lama and can therefore say whatever he pleases about me. Theoretically, of course, there's no I to be humiliated. So if there's some kind of illusion that insists on remaining with respect to Nakpachurgyam, it would be the perfect time for him to wave it goodbye. This upset some people who decided that if that was my attitude, I had what was coming to me. I thanked them for their support nonetheless and said that I had not intended to sound churlish in respect of their kindness. Some minutes had passed in which various segments of the audience argued with each other when suddenly Rinpoche raised his hand and silenced them. 
It wasn't clear how he did that. He just made that movement and the room fell quiet. Then he announced, in fact, almost shouted, Big ego, little ego is not mattering. He powerful weather maker. Ha! I ask him to be rain stopping and rain stopping. Ha! What you say now? Some of the audience decided they'd had enough and left. Others settled down and waited for what would happen next. <coughs> Rinpoche turned to me with a grin. Now you Dorje Sigden singing. And that's exactly what I did. Sometime later that year, I had an unusual dream about Rinpoche. In the dream, he said, you must write some verses of devotion. I replied that there were already many such verses. No, not like this, he replied. Like you write rock songs in your culture. Then I said what I always said to him. Really? You want me to do this, Rinpoche? And he replied, as he always did, why not? There was never an answer to that question other than rolling with whatever it was. I awoke suddenly from the dream and grabbed my notebook. I always keep a notebook by my bed in case lines of poetry occur to me. On this occasion, I set to and wrote a song, pretty much in one stream. Little editing was required and then I had to find a melody. The melody also came quite quickly once I'd hit the chord Jimi Hendrix uses in Foxy Lady. The rest just flowed out in a series of strange chords that sound just right on a 12-string guitar, including E minor 7th, 9th and D ninth suspended fourth. The chorus ran like this. Well, he's the doctor of Tantra. Honey, ain't that grand. He's the doctor of Tantra. Don't you understand? And the verses are as follows. Well, he walk in the room with a lover on his arm. He got a look in his eye like a fire alarm. He sit down at the table with a glass in his hand, got a whole range of bottles under his command. Then he sit by your side with a puruba in his belt. It's not the way that he tells it, it's the way that it's felt. When he asks you a question, don't give him no lies or he'll ravish your answer without compromise. When he walk in your house and he pass through the door, there'll be some kind of madness for you to explore. When he look in your eye, he might set fire to your brain, burn holes in your concepts or drive you insane. When he reach in his robe and pull out a text, you'll wonder what he's doing or what's coming next. Then he'll lay down some secrets from way back before and have wrathful dakinis come knock on your door. He'll reach into vision from limitless skies and he'll make some decision that's quite a surprise. And he'll organise chaos wherever he goes so you'll feel your confusion like a fist on your nose. He can look in the future and he can look in the past 
and he knows that the present just ain't gonna last. So he'll give you a teaching when he sits in his chair that whatever you're thinking, there ain't nothing there. I recorded the song Doctor of Tantra and sent it to Jimmy Riggs and Rinpoche on a cassette tape. I wondered what would happen. I'm not really a person who makes much of dreams, so this was an unusual departure. As soon as I'd posted the package, I started feeling as if I'd perpetrated an act of monstrous idiocy. Still a goddamn Tomuel. Why on earth would Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche ask me such a thing in a dream? More to the point, why did I imagine that the dream had any actual connection with him anyway? Anyhow, after a short period of squirming, I decided that there was no point in being other than I was, as Rinpoche knew how, how I was. I was the kind of maniac who'd write a Dylan-esque rock song about Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche. Some days later, I received a telephone call. It was Rinpoche. I receive your tape, he guffawed. You think Chimmy Riggsin is crazy, man? He continued with great good humour. No, Rinpoche, I think you're an extremely interesting man. Oh, yeah. Anyway, you are accomplishing this as I say you. You Switzerland coming possible? I agreed immediately, hang the cost, and Rinpoche sent me details of where he'd be. I booked the flights and started looking around for something to sell.